ladies and gentlemen. Everybody good tonight? <clears throat> so for some of you, I'm going to mess with a tradition for you tonight. Sorry. For others, maybe I won't. For those of you who have heard what we're going to talk about in a different light, um, um, maybe there'll be something special that you can take away from it. We find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 finds uh, some distinction with Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And those two <coughs> chapters are often used to talk about the fall of Satan. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 14, um, that's the chapter where you get the name a lot of people use, uh, Lucifer. So while uh, that is true for Ezekiel 28, it is, I think, a misinterpretation of Isaiah chapter 14. So we'll talk a little bit about that tonight and why as we look at the song. And uh, maybe it'll sound familiar to you when we, when we read it. But as we find ourselves in this section, remember, first half of this book... All the chapters we're going through now, from 13 to 38, roughly, are dealing with God, the God of Israel is the Lord over all the nations. In fact, next week and the weeks following, we'll be, we'll be into what they call the Oracle of the Nations, where, where God makes proclamation against a variety of different nations and what's going on in those places. And so, in the first, the next 10 chapters, from 13 to 23, we're dealing with this idea. The nations are all in God's hand. So I know a lot of times we talk about, and rightly so, the nation of Israel is a, a particular treasure for the Lord. While that's true, don't think that that means God is not working with all the nations. Right? You guys remember a little fellow named Jonah, yes? Everybody heard of him? The whole swallowed by a whale deal? We tracking? Well, his whole ministry was to go to the Assyrians. The Assyrians are the bad guys during the time of Isaiah. They're the nation that's going around conquering nations. And, and, uh, but God still reaches out, sends a prophet, who brings a message to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. The king of Nineveh puts on sackcloth. And decides to, to um, put ashes on his head and he uh, mourns and repents. And so God decides not to bring his judgment, right? So that takes place. Now later on, Nahum, another prophet, gets sent back to Nineveh because Nineveh kind of fell off the rails again. And God reaches out to Nineveh again. And the second time God reaches out to Nineveh, Nineveh won't repent. So... Anybody here of the Assyrian nation anymore? No. Syria and Assyria are not the same. So Assyria is gone. Same thing with Babylon. Same thing with Egypt. Over and over and over again, we see God reaching out. So here in Isaiah, Isaiah wants the people to understand that the, the God of Israel is also Lord of the nations. He, he is the creator of the entire universe and holds it all in his hand. From chapters 24 to 27, we're going to see that he is sovereign in the stage of history. 
That means men and women are free moral agents. You and I do what we want, and what we want falls exactly into God's purpose. God's plan. That's the concept of being sovereign. That God is responsible. Just like we would say, our president is sovereign. So if our economy goes down, who are we going to blame? Right? If something's happening in our world sideways, we don't like something that's happening, who do we blame? You blame the sovereign. Because what? He's over it. Right? The, the, what was it? Was it Roosevelt that put on his desk the buck stops here? Okay? So there's a concept that, that sovereignty, you have this position of responsibility. And God wants the nations to know. They, they all think he's out of the picture. But he wants them to know that they are... History is flowing to the culmination that God is looking for. Right? We're all going to see the kingdom of God established on earth. Chapters 28 to 33 are going to deal with the idea of trusting God and not some other nation to bail you out. Having your trust in Him. And we're going to see uh, uh, Ahaz, which will be the northern kingdom. He's going to trust in his friends and he's going to fall. And we're going to see Hezekiah trust in God against the same guy, same enemy, and God's going to deliver. The difference is one put his trust in other nations, the other put his trust in the Lord. So as we began here in chapter 13, we see God's oracle against Babylon. And remember last time we talked about Babylon's not really there yet. As a nation, they don't, the, the city of Babylon is there, but the the power, they're, they're, nobody cares about Babylon. Ba- what Babylon is at this time in the ancient world is what the United States is. That's where you go to sell all your stuff. Right? Babylon has the money. So if you want to sell stuff, you take it to Babylon. Right? But they're not a world power yet. Now God's talking about now, already before Babylon exists, His, uh, his judgment over the nation of Babylon. And one of the things that we want to keep in mind, biblically, when we talk about Babylon, the Bible is basically a story of two cities. Jerusalem, city of God. Babylon, the city of human pride. The city of human rebellion. So whether or not we're dealing with a literal city, we're going to read in in Revelation about God's judgment against Babylon. And there is no Babylon today. So, So Babylon is more than just a city it's the idea behind the city and who who is this city all about so we saw god's destruction of babylon but really behind the scenes what god's talking about is his judgment of human pride it's a whole idea going through these next several chapters that men say i don't need you god i'm going to deal with this a different way i'm going to i'm going to bail myself out by doing this thing or that thing i don't need you And so God wants them to realize that one of the things that God hates is human pride. You guys know that there are six things in Proverbs, yea, seven are an abomination, and the very first one on the list is pride. And so God says that he is not a big fan of pride. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? So this is the this is the the picture. Now when God brings these kind of prophecies, when the when the prophet would pass through a town and give a decree against human pride, the proper response would be to say, "Man, am I being proud? 
examine myself, you know, I am kind of proud. And then do what? Repent. Nobody has to enter into judgment. You go into judgment to the Almighty because you chose judgment. None of my kids had to ever be beat. They got up in the morning, and I think they got together and said, it's your turn today to be beat. And they would just draw a straw, and then they would do the things. that they, It was no surprise. It wasn't like a shock. Dad, you're going to spank me for that? Yeah. Yeah, you can't call your mama that. You can't do this. You, you, this is not new. Where, how do they enter into judgment? Do they know they're doing wrong? Yeah, they know they're doing wrong. They, I even see it in the grandkids. I look at them and say, you just want me to have to beat you, don't you? You're just asking. Well, how many times is my behavior the same toward the Lord? How many times is God saying, Jackie, is this really a surprise to you? No, it's not a surprise. And those examples in my life is a call to me to repent. Right? I don't have to face judgment. I can just repent. Bow the knee before the sovereign. Either God is God and you're not. Or he's not God at all. That's how we we get to choose how we're going to live, right? So prayerfully we want to live in an attitude of uh, humility before God. So here in chapter 14, we're going to talk about the downfall of the king of Babylon. Now the king is not a particular person. Remember we talked about the idea that Babylon doesn't have to be a city. It, it is, and God's judgment does fall on that, but that, that title, Babylon, is used still yet future. Right? Before we come into the tribulation period, God's saying, I'm going to judge Babylon. Well, who, who's Babylon now? So the, the point is, it, it is a symbol. A symbol for human pride and God's judgment against it. Let's look at the beginning. Isaiah 14, 1-4. through 4. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Now, when Isaiah says this, they're all still here. They're not in exile. None of them have been conquered yet. The north hasn't been conquered. The south hasn't been conquered. They're sitting in their comfortable living room with their feet up on their lazy boy. And they're, they tuned in to what the prophet has to say today. And the prophet Isaiah is saying, one day God's going to bring you back into the land. And they're probably looking back and forth at each other thinking, we're here. I wonder what he's talking about. But God had previously told them, you're going into exile. You're going into exile because you won't repent. Because you call yourself a nation after the God of Israel. Israel means governed by Yahweh. That's what the title means. Governed by God. But you're not, you, you don't listen to me. I made you. I, I took you when you were nobody. I just took one little person and I built them into a nation. And I created you and I gave you this land. And I brought you all this stuff. And all I'm looking for is your faithfulness to me. Now, reality, is there anything different in any of our human relationships? When you do something for somebody else, you do something for a friend, you go out of your way, really help them out, do something super nice, you don't want them to be faithful to you? 
You don't want them to care about you. Uh, I don't think that's true. I see all your posts on Facebook, just so you know. I know. We want faithfulness in our friends, right? Where do you think that comes from? You really think that we're stardust? We're stardust, and all our thoughts are just brain fizz? So we have brain fizz and stardust in a meaningless, purposeless universe. doesn't matter, right? So why would we care about faithfulness? But the Bible says we're created in God's image, meaning some of those things that we see in the heart of God, we also see in our heart. No? Do we like love? Oh, so shocking, right? There's a lot of things we see coming out. So the Lord is saying, look, the Lord is going to have compassion. There will be judgment. God's anger is not forever. He's not going to utterly destroy. He's going to bring you back into the land. This is how the promise starts, before they're ever put out of the land. And it says, and the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them. The Lord's land is male and female slaves. They will... Take captives those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. Now what's the Bible talking about? He's saying the people who used to hold their thumb over you and control you and, 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 and have authority over you, now you're going to have authority over them. The, the tides, the, the tables are going to be turned. It's going to change. You're, you find yourself heading in this position, but that won't be forever. Well, how's that going to change? It says in verse 3, When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service which you were made to serve. When the Lord has given you rest. So the idea is, Babylon, who's going to be an oppressor, who's going to make them slaves, God's going to also turn the tables on them. They'll find themselves in the same place. And then there will be a day. There is a day that the scriptures teach about when all the pain and the turmoil and the hard service and all the grief is over. And Isaiah is saying that day will come. And you will find yourself back in the land. And you will find yourself peace. And you will experience the things that God wants you to experience. And what we have to understand, sometimes we have a twisted view of the nation of Israel. The relationship between Israel and God is less about their status before God and more about their experience of God. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's not like they were. there was a special dispensation for Israel and Israel gets saved special because they're just born in Israel. No, they didn't have any better status than the Assyrians. What did they have that the Assyrians didn't? They had the experience of the living God in their society, in their, in their worship, in their land. So they had the opportunity, but they had just as much opportunity to reject Him too, didn't they? Right? It's, it's, it, it, was, it was possible for a Jew to reject the living God and not have any special station before God. The special station of the nation of Israel is that God chose to give his word through them. That's it. That's all there is. No special, 
you know, dispensation where all of Israel is saved in some way different than you. How was Abraham saved? What does the Bible say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. How do you get saved? I believe God and what? It's accounted unto me for righteousness, right? Whosoever believes in the name of the Lord, how's it go? Shall be saved. Is it the same? It's all the same. The difference is the experience. They had a greater experience of God. And so when Peter says in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Hey, God has shown himself to you. God has given his word. You have had an opportunity to hear teaching and be presented the gospel and hear all these things. So the challenge of Peter is, don't waste that. God is revealing himself to you. So confirm your election. In other words, there's a, you have to respond to God. You have to respond to what he's doing, to what he's saying. For if you practice these qualities, Peter says, you will never fall. Confirm your election. Move toward God. Keep your eye on the prize, right? We've talked about all these things before. So Isaiah is challenging the people. Don't be dependent on something else. Don't be dependent on the other nations. But be dependent on the Lord God Almighty. Be dependent upon Him. Now look at verse 4. This is where the song, the next section of chapter 14 is the song. He says, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. Now keep in mind, at the time this is given, there is no Babylon. There is no king of Babylon. There is a king of Assyria. And I believe it has application to the king of Assyria. Because the king of Assyria is a proud man. I believe it has application to Satan. Because Satan is a proud being. I believe it has a, a, a application to you and I. Why? Because we're capable of being what? Proud. And this is the deal of this song. Raise up this taunt against the king of Babylon. And so we, we begin to take a look at the song. It begins right there. How the oppressor has ceased and the insolent... Fury, see. So, we're going to have four stanzas. It's his Hebrew poetry at its finest. Four stanzas. Each of the stanzas is going to tell uh, some of the story from a certain perspective. Stanza one is going to tell the story of the the uh, uh, judgment of the pride of this this being, the king of Babylon. It's going to tell the judgment of this pride from the point of view of earth. Stanza 2 is going to deal with it from the point of view of the grave. What are the people in the grave going to say? What are the people on earth going to say? The third stanza deals with the point of view from heaven. Wow, this guy said he was so much. And he really was so little. And then the fourth stanza is going to deal with the final disgrace. A denial of burial and the destruction of the line of the king. So we'll take a look at stanza one. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepters of rulers. 
that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger and with unrelenting persecution. Look at verse 7. So the whole earth is at rest and quiet. So the point, the point of the song, from the point of view of earth, the earth is going to enter into a time of peace. Why? Because God has judged this proud ruler. This proud ruler is put down. His oppression ends. But keep in mind, when we talk about Assyria, they ruled the world. You get that, right? Nobody cared about what was happening over here, because nobody over here knew anything about anybody. Right? But over there, in the, in the civilized, so-called civilized world, the world that had been um, explored and understood, that, that world is going to experience peace because those oppressors are going to fall. When we look at the dream of Daniel, okay, I'm going to constantly be going back to this. Head of gold, chest of silver, right? You guys remember the dream? All the kingdoms of men do not last. They all pass from one to the next to the next to the next. Yes? They all, we get worse. Gold becomes silver. Silver becomes bronze. Bronze becomes iron. Iron becomes iron mixed with clay. The idea is that we don't get better at it. Are we getting better at government? Come on. Man, it takes me 30 seconds in history class to realize we don't learn anything from... Yeah. We, we keep repeating it. No? Aren't we repeating the same stuff? We can't even come up with a new system. We're going to retread it. Yeah? We're going to retread whatever systems men have tried in the past. We, they just didn't do it right. But what the Bible says is the kingdoms of men fail. The kingdoms of men fail. And when the tyrant is put down, there's peace. The earth is finally going to breathe. All the beatings, all the oppression, all the slavery, all the things that he did, they're going to stop. They're going to stop so much that even the trees are going to sing praises. It says in verse 8, The cypresses rejoice at you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. And you say, well, that's weird. Well, not if you understood their mindset. You see, when those global kingdoms for their day took power, they said they were the ruler over it all, heaven and earth, over all of creation. In fact, they said, I own every tree. So one of the ways they would establish their authority was to go into the forests of another nation and cut all the trees down. You ever been to Israel? Do you realize Israel did not have hardly any trees in the whole nation in 1948? Because once upon a time, the rulers said, you know, here's how we'll tax you. How many trees do you have? So what people do? What would you do? If you were going to have to pay tax on the trees, you would say, yeah, no, I don't need that tree that bad. So all the trees come down. They go in and, and clear-cut forests. And so they, they ruin the ecology of the nation of Israel over those thousands of years and all those different kings and kingdoms. It's not until 1948 when the Jewish people went back into Israel that they began to reforest the nation, that they actually began to change the, the weather patterns that happened there in Israel. And they turned what everyone said was just a worthless desert 
into some prime land. Because they put it back like it was. So the trees are saying, man, we're glad this king is gone. We're glad he's gone. No, nobody's mourning, right? Nobody's weeping. Nobody's crying. The earth is at peace. The earth is at peace as they look at and burst into song at the death of the tyrant. This tyrant is God. Th- thank the Lord that the tyrant is gone. God is the one who is able to accomplish this. Herod himself was afraid... When he died, no one would mourn. You guys heard this before? Herod wasn't a very good guy. And he was pretty sure that everyone would have a celebration when he died. So he imprisoned all the elders of the Jews. And demanded that at his death, his soldiers would kill them all. So that the people would mourn when he died. There's just one problem. Nobody has to listen to you when you're dead. Right? So when Herod died, soldiers let the Jews go, and the people celebrated at the death of Herod. Exactly what he's talking about here. This song against the tyrant. This, this tyrant who said, Oh man, this is, I, just like Nebuchadnezzar, look at the kingdom that I have built. Right? We remember? You think that that was only Nebuchadnezzar? We, we can watch it on the news. If we, if we give a politician enough time to talk, they'll talk about how great they have made our nation. Yeah? If there's anything great about our nation, it's God-given, not, not man-given. If there's going to be anything great about our nation moving forward, it will be God-given then, too. So we enter into stanza two. Now stanza two of the song is sung from the point of view of those who are in the grave. Sheol, Hebrew word for help. Okay, the the idea of the abode of the dead. Just like the idea of the abode of the dead in Greek mythology. You guys heard of Greek mythology? Okay, same concept. The, The Jews had the same concept. There's an abode of the dead, the place where the disembodied spirits wait until judgment. So it says, Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. So the, 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 the idea is the king's in the grave. Listen, it rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones. All who were kings of the nation. So the idea in this song is a guy dies and the earth is rejoicing. Oh, the tyrant's gone. That guy who, who oppressed us and ruled over us. And then in hell... The, the, the spirits of the kings, some of those kings would have been conquered by the king who died, right? Uh, he, would have, he would have killed the kings of the nations where he, that he took over. So he's coming down and they all rise up to meet him. You know, this great and incredible guy who's coming down. And it says, all of them will say to you, look at you. You're just as weak as us. Because you're here too. What's the great equalizer among men? Death is appointed unto man once to die. And then, judgment. So here, he's, he's dead. And so they're saying to him, you're just as weak as us. You're just like us. Yeah, you conquered me. Yeah, you killed me. But look, you're here with me now. I thought you were this super being. 
I thought you were filled with pride and all the things you could build. But you know what? All the things you built, according to the wisdom of Solomon, went to someone else who was a fool. Isn't that what Solomon said? Well, I built this great kingdom. All this, this stuff is here, but I'm going to pass it to a fool. Because the kingdom's not eternal. Because the king is not eternal. Until the king of kings and lord of lords comes. And then we have a king who is eternal. Who is good and just and righteous. Who, who has the ability to do the things the scripture says. So human pride is just pretty trappings on a, cor- on a corpse. Listen to his bed. It says you become just like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. Think about the funeral services we just had for George H.W. Bush, right? A lot of pomp, right? But he went in the ground just like everybody else who never had a scene. Anybody who never even had a funeral. Did he, is he buried in any other way? Look, folks, among mankind, dead is. Whether you're in a fancy casket or a pine box, is there a difference? The dead don't know a difference, do they? Listen, the dead are going to say to him, You came down with all this pomp, all this stuff, the sound of harps, but your bed is maggots. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. So you had all this pride, all this power, all this prestige, but in the end, you're just dead like us. Now, What was the point of all that pride? That's the question that's being begged. What was the point of all the pride? All your pride did nothing. Your kingdom was passed to another kingdom. It emphasizes the reality that human pride is such a waste. Maybe it makes us feel good. I don't know. I found out fairly early in life that I was a dirt bag. So maybe I get a special pass. I don't know. I don't I'm sure there's areas where I struggle in, I struggle with pride, you know, by doing cr- things that bug people. But I don't know if that's good pride, right? I'll get a crazy idea and shave the sides of my hair and walk around in a ponytail. Y'all remember that? Or I'll grow a beard. Or I won't. Or I'll be whatever. The long time ago I learned that I was not anything special. That I was capable of just doing as much evil as anybody else I thought was an evil person. So I like to think my pride died a long time ago. I know we always got to keep a watch on it. As soon as we say there I'm humble, now I'm making a proud statement, but... The idea is, man, we want to recognize that pride doesn't go anywhere. What do you have that God didn't give you? I had somebody tell me the other day, man, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't believe, he said I don't believe in God anymore. So, usually I say, well, I don't know if he ever did in the first place. But he said, I don't believe in God anymore because God ain't never done nothing for me. Wow, that's arrogant. Do you realize how arrogant that is? What do you got that God didn't give you? The clothes you're wearing, he made. 
all the materials, everything you have around you that's a part of your life is a blessing from God. Every good thing in your life came from God. That's what the Bible teaches. So if every good thing in your life came from God, yeah, we shouldn't be filled with pride as though we did it, as though we made it. Isn't that exactly what was wrong with Nebuchadnezzar? Look at the kingdom that I have built. Look at all the stuff that I did. Me, 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 me. And then to turn around and say to Daniel, yeah, you know what? I don't, I'm not really into your God. What did he ever do for me? I don't know. Made you king? We can get so inwardly focused on self and so self-deprecating where we hate ourselves, and maybe we blame others that we hate ourselves, whatever our, our thing is. But when we're dealing with that, when we're struggling with that, that's, that's all a mind game that exists in my head. That's not reality. Reality is God has given you everything you have. The breath you just sucked in and exhaled. The sigh you just gave because you can't believe I said something so dumb. All of that came from Him. That's God's. He has never stopped doing good things for you. Last I checked, the sun still came up. It might be winter now, but spring's coming. Did spring come last year? What about the year before that? What about the year before that? What about the year we had all the snow? Yep, still came, didn't it? Crazy how that is. Yeah, God is still moving and working. Our pride doesn't get us anything. What our pride does is separate us from God. While we're thinking of the, of the uh, scheme or the scale of sin, just remember, pride's number one. First in the list. Pride. 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 Because pride says, I don't need you, God. I can do it myself. Third stanza. It's a stanza of this one fallen from heaven. Now here's where it's going to sound familiar. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? Now some of you guys have new King James or King James. going to say something different, right? Oh, how are you fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning? Anybody know what Lucifer is? It's a Latin word. You know what it means? Day star. Why, why, why do we have a Latin word in there? Well, because some of the translators were pretty sure that this is a reference to Satan, right? And his fall from heaven. Because scripture talks about it in Luke ten eighteen and Revelation 12, 8 and 9 talks about this idea of Satan's fall from heaven. For sure, Satan fell from heaven. But his name's not Lucifer. When we translate the Bible, we translate the words. If you transliterate, and then you change the word into Latin, what are you doing? I I can guarantee Satan does not have a Latin name. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? His name is not Latin. It might be the Hebrew word for day star. It might be... One of those ancient languages, you know, maybe Ugaritic or something that's related to Hebrew, but it certainly is not going to be Latin. Where did that Latin word come from? 
Well, the original translators, they translated the Bible into Latin. And sometimes when we don't know what to do with the word, we just speak it in. And so for the last, when were the Middle Ages? <laughs> Long time ago? Jason, Middle Ages, 14? Is that middle? Or is that not middle, too early? Anyways, the point of the Middle Ages, the idea of the Middle Ages is that we had this fascination going on with, with Hill, Dante's uh, uh, Inferno that was written during that time, and we had a lot of ideas, and so that tradition has held till today. And I bet most of us, if we're familiar with this passage, we're at least familiar with the word Lucifer, aren't we? But Lucifer is just a Latin word meaning the day star. The day star. Well, how are you fallen from the heavens? Now, let's put it in light of the, of the human king that he's talking about. A king who had exalted himself in pride. Is Lucifer similar? Did Lucifer, or Lucifer, sorry. Did Satan, did Satan exalt himself in pride? All you got to do is read Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, we're not going to argue over. Ezekiel 28 talks about the fall of Satan. It says he was in the garden of God. I can tell you this, uh, no king was ever in the garden of God. Yeah? But this one, he's talking about the king. He's talking about human pride, elevating itself, saying, I don't need you, God. I got this. And if you do it in context from chapter 13 all the way through to 23, it's obvious. Contextually, he's talking about a man. He's saying of this man, how are you fallen from heaven, O Daystar? You, you thought you were, you were so high, but now you're cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. Did the Assyrians lay the nations low? Yes. Was there anybody they didn't conquer? No. After them, did the Babylonians lay the nations low? Yes. Was there anybody they didn't conquer? No. After them... The Medo-Persian Empire, did they lay the nations low? Yes. Was there anybody they didn't conquer? No. You guys get the point yet? Alexander the Great's after that. Was there anybody he didn't conquer? Come on, you guys got to know his name, right? Conquered the world by the time he was 30, didn't he? Now what the history books say? By the time he was 30, he looked around and said, there are no more nations to conquer, Right? Did he lay the, lay the nations low? Sure. What about after him? Who was after him? Rome. What about Rome? Did Rome lay the nations low? For sure. Does any of them lay them low permanently? No. Because eventually somebody comes. If you got two bullies on a block, what happens? If there are two bullies on the same block, come on, you guys know what happens. I'm not the only guy who grew up in the real world, am I? If there's two bullies on the same block, what happens? That somebody, they're going to be a fight, no? And then there will be one. There will be one. That's how men do things. That's what men, that's how men rule. So, you've laid the nations low. You said in your heart, this is human pride. I hear it in sovereigns of the nations still today. Words just like this, I will ascend to heaven. In Genesis chapter 10, do you know who said that? I will ascend to heaven. I will put my throne above the heights. I will be like the most high. You know what his name was? Nimrod. First earthly king. 
Yeah. Nothing has changed in the heart of men. They shake their fist at heaven and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you anything for the breath you give me. I don't owe you anything for the life you've given. I don't owe you anything for the world you've created. I don't owe you anything for the stuff you've given me. And I'm not giving any. In fact, I'm going to be bigger than you. People are going to remember me forever. Yeah? What, how do people use the word Nimrod now? Yeah, not so good? Yeah? It's never a good thing to, to walk around. I had to be Nimrod for the Hallelujah night. It was a drag. So my first line in the, in the little play was, I'm Nimrod. Uh, two-year-olds know that's funny. He said he's a Nimrod. I will be, everyone's going to think of me. How many people do you really think of? Great Really, we care less about any of them. What did they all have in common? They died and worms ate them. Nothing to be proud of. Nothing to be proud of. There's nothing going to last. Nothing's going to stay. You said, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I'll set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. All of those are references for... A, a similar idea like Mount Olympus. You guys, I, I'm just trying to make correlation. It's not Mount Olympus, but that's what they're saying. The seat of the gods. Where do the gods sit? Every city that was born in the ancient world, where were their temples? On the mountain above the city. Right? In Greece, they would look up it and they would call it Mount Olympus. Why? Because that's where the, that's where the gods live. So when a human king says, I'm putting my throne up there like Nimrod... I'm putting my throne up there like Babylon. I'm putting my throne up there. What are they saying? I'm just like the gods. What did they call Pharaoh? Ra. Who was their god? Ra. Yeah? It's all the same. It's all the stuff. I will ascend to heaven above the stars. I will sit in the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. 1933, Humanist Manifesto. In our own United States of America in 1933, mankind made a declaration. There is no God. We must save ourselves. Is there a better statement than I will be like the Most High? That's, that's not only Satan who talks like that, guys. Human beings have been talking like that for a long, long time. I will be God. But listen to what he says. But instead, you're in the grave. You said you're going to be as high as the heavens, but now you're in the grave. That's an earthly guy. Satan ain't in a grave. Satan ain't ever going in a grave. Satan has a special little place created for him, right? Never one time is it called the grave. Where, where do humans go? To the grave. We die, we go to the grave. You are brought down to Sheol, to the farthest reaches of the pit. All of those are descriptions of the grave. Dying and being in the grave, going down into the grave. And then we, we have this idea that death mocks 
every human who claims to be God. Of all those leaders I named, Shenecherib, Tilgath-Pileser, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Alexander the Great, and Caesar, and those who followed. You know what they all have in common? They all, yeah, they're all dead. That's another thing they got in common. They all said they were God. Every one of them claimed deity. And every one of them's in the grave. And the people in the grave are saying, you know, I was just a leper. I had nothing. Huh, you're in a grave just like me. We ended up in the same place. We ended up in the same place. Death mocks men who claim to be God. Then the fourth stanza, verse 16. Those who will see you will stare at you and ponder at you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Tilgath Pileser, how many of you guys know his name? Probably not many, right? Shenecherib? Anybody know Shenecherib? Yeah. Shenecherib used to ride up to a town and say, with a chain, you guys have probably seen this in the movies, with a chain of heads of the kings from the nations he just came from. You guys seen that, right? There's a movie that did the same thing. What really happened, Shenecherib would ride up to a town with a chain full of the heads of kings and say, you give up right now, or we're going to come in there, we're going to kill you all, we're going to wipe you out, I'm going to take your king, I'm going to chop off his head, and I'm going to put it on this chain. And all these guys, they said their God would save them. And their gods didn't save them, and neither will yours. And he said it to Ahaz, the king of Israel. And guess what? Ahaz's head made it on the chain. And then he came south to Judah, and he said it to Hezekiah. But Hezekiah's head didn't make it on the chain. Why? Because Ahaz trusted in other things, but Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. You know what Hezekiah did? He prayed. Hey God, I don't know what to do. These guys are going to whoop us bad. So, help. So God sent one angel. That's the real movie they ought to make. One angel went through 186,000 soldiers. And the next morning, there were none left. Nobody talk about that story, huh? Crazy how that is. Not a lot of pride of humanity in that story. It's God who delivers. God who did the work. So they're going to say, is this the guy? Really? He's dead now. Anybody afraid of him? Anybody go to sleep tonight and going to say, oh, I'm afraid of Shenecherib. He's going to get me. He's got a funny name and he carries around a chain with people's heads on it. Yeah, nobody's, nobody cares. You afraid of Alexander the Great now? Nope, funny how that... Caesar? Nope, not afraid of Caesar. They wore dresses back then. It's weird. Yeah? Yeah, because all that human pride goes where? No place. None of those kingdoms are eternal. They all perish. It says, who made the world like a desert? This is a guy who made the world like a desert, overthrew its cities, didn't let the prisoners go home. The Assyrians used to take their, their prisoners and run a spear through their body. I'll let you imagine how that happened. I'll just tell you that the end of the spear came out of their mouth. And they prop them up all along the road 
so that everyone would be afraid of the Assyrians. Not a joke. That's real. That happened. It was the Assyrians who were the first people group to play around with the idea of crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. But the Assyrians, they were vicious, vicious. No prisoner go home. If you make us come conquer you, that's the Shennacherib. You make me come conquer you. You guys are all going on a spear. We'll just pile up your dead bodies as tall as a tree. Yeah, that that's... They won't let the prisoners go home. All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you, nobody liked you. So nobody's going to bury you. They just throw you out in the dump. This is the song, right? This is what's happening to this tyrant. You're like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain. Those who have been pierced with the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit. That's, that's the garbage pit, right? The stone quarry, where you threw away junk. Nobody wants to bury you, they're just going to throw you away. Like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. Every tyrant has that in common, right? The people that the tyrant rules over hate them as much as the, the people who are afraid of them. Yeah, God says, yeah, they don't, they're not going to love you. They're not going to mourn when you die. Woohoo! They're going to all have a party. Till the next tyrant shows up. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Prepare the slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers. Lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with its cities. Hey, saying, look, it's all going to be over. No more family. Your kings aren't going to rule. There's a, a pharaoh who was hated by his people, did horrible things to his people. When he died, his two son-in-laws ruled for like a couple of months each. And they died under suspicious circumstances. And when the next guy took over, not part of that family, he tore down every pyramid that guy built and sent it to the other side of Egypt. To be thrown into a stone quarry so that the world would forget he ever existed. That's what he's talking about in this song. All that human pride doesn't go anywhere. just lands in judgment. Listen to what Daniel said. Daniel 4.25 Here's what Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar. That you will be driven from among men. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You will be made to eat grass like an ox. You will be wet with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over you. Until what? Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And He gives it to whomever He pleases. Who gave you the kingdom? Man, you didn't make nothing. There's no such thing as a self-made man. There are people that God has blessed. And if they don't honor God, if they're not thankful to God... That will be their charges come judgment day. You walked in your own pride. And the scripture says God will oppose him. So in the end, the Lord makes this promise. In in the last couple of verses we're going to look at. 22, he says, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord. The Bible says God opposes the proud. That's the exact same word as the word just a couple of verses earlier where it says resist the devil and he will flee. You guys know the scripture? That's the exact same word. I don't want to ever be 
walking in an attitude that causes God to resist me, to oppose me. Don't walk around in pride. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon name, remnant, descendant, and posterity. I will make it a possession of the hedgehog. You know who lives in Babylon today? Nobody. I would imagine there might be some hedgehogs there. There ain't nobody there. Even, uh, what's his name? Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild it, right? You know who lives in it since he tried to rebuild it? Nobody. Where's Saddam Hussein now? Yeah, he's no, he's gone now too. All the pride of man goes down. I'll make it a possession of the hedgehog, pools of water. I'll sweep it with a broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm going to judge it. Now, I think the declaration against the king of Babylon is a declaration of war from God on human pride. It applies to every tyrant or ruler who has ever ruled. I think because it's a declaration against pride, it also fits with the pride of Satan. But a more descript, a better description of his fall is Ezekiel 28. So if you're curious, you feel free to go read Ezekiel 28. And you'll see some similar language there as well. But here I think he's talking about exactly what he's describing. The king of Babylon, the city of Babylon, the city of man's rebellion against God, which is best depicted as man's pride, and the picture of man's pride being judged. Why are you so proud? The same thing happens to you that happens to every man, rich or poor. You all end up in the grave. Right? It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So it is worth it. The Bible says, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. If we would consider where we're at, what's going on in my life, and do I have some of these issues in my life, then what's the Bible tell me to do? Repent. Be forgiven. Follow God. Hear the call of wisdom from Proverbs. Hear the call of Jesus from the Gospels. It's all the same. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What's Jesus say? I will give you rest. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you to study your word, to look at what the scriptures lay out for us in, in Isaiah chapter 14. And Lord, I know there's a lot you still have.